And it may be that, oh, everybody's feeling good because they just did this great practice. Um, but actually, that, and that is true, but there's also a lot of things get, that get stirred up for people. People get triggered. Um, people don't like the smells or they don't like, you know, or somebody, there's not enough room or there's all kinds of things that actually have to do with human relations. And at a yoga um, center, you have these different groups of people there. You have the staff that's your teachers, so you have all these independent people, whether they're employees or not. Hi, my name is Stuart Alsop, and this is my podcast, Crazy Wisdom, where I interview creative people about how they work with and manage the stress that is inherent in creative work. What I've realized over the past 10 years of my research is that anybody who is creating something of value that is significantly different from what has come before is considered crazy. Most of us have a fear, an ingrained fear of going crazy. Uh, so what I'm saying is grab onto that fear, realize that it's there, and just go with it. Because the problems we're going to be facing over the next 20 years require crazy people in order to solve them. podcast. Um, can you introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Marisa Torregino, and I'm the founder and owner of Yoga Garden of San Francisco. Mm. And I also have my own website, uh, which is called Marisa Torregino Yoga. Cool. And why did you first start a yoga, yoga studio? What led you into building this thing? I first started a yoga studio because I actually was really interested in yoga and had been doing yoga for 10 years and I felt like I wanted to be more in community with people around yoga and at that time like 20 years ago or, or more there what what people typically did was they lived in ashrams mm. which would be a spiritual community where everybody was living together sleeping eating together doing a practice together and when I would visit ashrams wherever I was here in San Francisco or in New York I also lived in New York and I, um, I just felt like I didn't fit in. It was like too, it was too much of a thing to mm -hmm. move into. Mm -hmm. It was a change of your whole life. Yes, it wasn't place. quite right. Like I still liked my friends and mm -hmm. actually 20 or 30 years ago, not everybody did yoga. So the fact that I did yoga was unusual. Even though my friends were great, I loved them. They, they thought yoga was just something I did. So it wasn't like I was good. If I moved into an ashram, it would be a whole other scene going yeah. on. Mm -hmm. So the idea of opening a yoga studio or a yoga a school or a center was um, a great way for me, I thought, to expand like what I knew and liked and to find a way to do it that was more contemporary with like the life I was living here in San Francisco. It, it could have an Indian feel perhaps, but it wasn't like in India or like the, you know, the sort of hippie movement that came like mm. a generation or two before, before me. Mm. And it's so interesting because you started, when did, when did you start the, the yoga studio? Well, Yoga Garden of San Francisco uh, started in 2004. Okay, 2004. And when did you start first pra start practicing yoga? Oh, in 1990, no, 1989. 89, okay. And so that's basically like you have the hippie movement, which was in the 60s, and then... Even the, 70s, In you the know, 70s, like, yeah. yeah. And then, and then in the 80s and the 90s was this kind of in-between spot where yoga yes. wasn't this popular. Wasn't. And, and then now it's like, now it's totally in our mainstream American yoga culture. Completely. Like, um, it's, it's part of like television commercials. Uh, it's like little jokes or interesting innuendos in like regular sitcoms or, you know, popular, you know, Hollywood shows. Uh -huh. Yeah, totally different. <laughs> when I was first learning yoga, um, we, you know, we... I remember having to remember what like namaste meant or what just common words that we use now what they you know even the word yoga like uh -huh. what's the meaning of yoga uh -huh. and that what is the meaning of yoga <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> it's um very briefly because i know that's not the main subject we're talking about it's basically the balance of the light and the dark mm. right so to merge into like one whole you know complete way of of being mm. union union yeah, yes yeah. Uh -huh. And so what does stress have to do with that? Why does yoga help us with stress? Well, yeah, I think that um, I think that stress isn't anything new for humanity or even just any life here on, on the planet Earth. Um, there's always been stress. I think that how yoga, perhaps, or at least one way that yoga can relate to stress is that people maybe are looking for something or maybe they feel a little uncomfortable, they're not even sure, and then they go to yoga and it does feel good 
it is a positive experience for them, but it can also open them up to more of the feeling of themselves and more of the, you know, they're more in their body. So they may feel the reality of the stress or difficulties in their life mm. more deeply. So it's essentially allows you to see stress. Uh, you see, so this yeah. the way that I got into yoga was that I, I started doing these practices that that are actually stressful. It's like yoga is a form of stress that we put on ourselves, particularly asana. Yes, it's like a, the muscles. Yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. And our minds and putting us in challenges, challenging yes. situations yes. and stuff like that. And so uh, a lot of people come to yoga and then they do these practices and then they then they have these kind of emotional breakthroughs and then they kind of look at their life in a way that's more clear so they can see their life as it already is as opposed to uh, this concept. Uh, so it's, it allows them to kind of see what stresses they already have in their life as opposed to kind of putting them into denial. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So yeah. when you're more aware of the reality of what truly is, mm. which just means when you actually realize, oh, when he or she says that to me, I feel hurt. That actually hurts my feelings. In the past, you just had your boundaries, your barriers up, mm. but yoga can, because the actual practice helps break down those things. And so you're feeling more mm. deeply. Interesting. So that can lead to a different or deeper level of stress mm. for you. And then mm. you have to manage that. Mm. And the yoga postures and the breathing are helpful tools to help uh, you manage the stress. Interesting. And so uh, I'm, I, I invited you on today because I've always passed by the yoga garden. I'm thinking that's such a great name. Uh, and I've been interested in, 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 in kind of like the business of yoga as well and like how stressful it is because it's this thing that most people when they're not doing yoga and they look at yoga teachers and they, they think yoga teachers are these like magical beings who don't have any stress and kind of like you know I don't know if that that's, that's the impression that I that <laughs> yeah. I get from a lot of people I when, think so, when yeah. I tell them I'm a yoga teacher and I'm like no no no, no I'm, I'm crazy and therefore I do yoga so right, that I can right. kind of that's know, a nice answer <laughs> manage, manage the, the crazy uh, and and so and so the business of yoga is really stressful because it's like it's it's a economic, particularly in San Francisco, where the rents are really high. Right. So like how what were the biggest things, unexpected things when you first started the stu studio? What were the biggest lessons that you learned? OK, um, well, I, what I want to say, and probably this was one of the biggest lessons. I don't know if I thought of this, though I might have, not but that would be maybe unusual, that yoga really is a business. Mm -hmm. It is a business. And often people go into yoga, uh, yoga, you know, opening some sort of yoga uh, center or even their own yoga teaching, and they don't realize that you also have to have the business head and, mm -hmm. or the business hat on you a lot. Mm. It's not really any different, I don't think, than any other business at all. Yep. You have all the aspects of a, of a small business to a medium-sized business going on there. And it's often with people that aren't trained in that area or haven't had a lot of experience mm. in their life of, of in the business world. Mm. I myself wasn't in the business world. I always worked since I was a teenager. Um, I have an art degree from UC Berkeley, and I did actually live off of my art when I was a young adult. Um, and I did yoga. Even though all my friends were artists in the early years, they were not into yoga. Even though being an artist was like countercultural, um, yoga also used to be part of the counterculture, um, mm. even though now it's mm. become part of the main culture. I still think people want the, have the idea that it is kind of counter. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think that um, one of the areas of stress that was a big learning curve for me, but it was really because of my lack of experience mostly, is that um, in a yoga studio, just call it yoga studio, there's a lot of people. And when you have a lot of people, you have a lot of opportunity for conflict. Mm -hmm. And it may be that, oh, everybody's feeling good because they just did this great practice. Um, but actually, that, and that is true, but there's also a lot of things get, that get stirred up for people. People get triggered. Um, people don't like the smells or they don't like, you know, or somebody, there's not enough room or there's all kinds of things that actually have to do with human relations. Mm -hmm. And at a yoga, um, center, you have these different groups of people there. You have the staff that's your teachers. So you have all these independent people, whether they're employees or not, they're basically independent people that have chosen to be yoga teachers and to be actually the teachers or the leaders in the room when they're teaching the group of people that they largely consider are, are kind of their people. Mm. Then you have the um, students, which are this just every kind of person. I mean, in San Francisco, you just, I mean, the doors open and you just, everybody walks yeah, in. Like uh -huh. you have, 
opportunity for everybody to walk in. And Such a range. Yeah, and maybe so in the cool. last five years, like it's maybe a less of a range, yeah. but I mean, 20 years ago or more, it was a huge range, uh, a huge range. I remember um, when I had a little baby, I had, um, now that child is 14, but when I had a little baby and I would be working there and sometimes she would be with me, and sometimes just like just like the regular people that didn't have any place to stay, they would just walk in uh, because they were, they just, it's an open door. Uh, um, but you have the many, many people that are the students. Then you have your teachers. Then you have also the staff, which means the support staff, the people that are um, making sure the schedule's right, making sure that the studio is clean, making sure there's front desk um, support and that the front desk knows what to do when students walk in or even when the teachers walk in. Mm. So they're actually, even with a small company like Yoga Garden of San Francisco, there's still a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of opportunity for... Conflict, conflict which, yeah. which is stressful. Yeah, and that's really interesting because you got the 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 people who work in doing the admin and stuff like yes. that, and then you've got the teachers, and all the teachers are entrepreneurs in themselves yes. because they're all, exactly. they're all running their own business, exactly. and they're only contracting with you to essentially to get a space yes. and a clientele to come in exactly. and share their message. And I've realized that the last year, most a lot of teachers don't really do studio classes for the money, although some do it. They do it for a place where they can connect with, with more people, essentially, to, to talk yes. about their retreats and other things like yes, that, Yes, right? there, there is that, and there's uh -huh. a lot of that, and that's changed over the years, but there still are teachers that... Um, do teach at the studio because they want to. They want the community. They actually want to be with other people, other you know, mm -hmm. other yoga teachers, or just that environment. They don't want to be just alone. Mm. I mean, there's a balance, and it's hard to be a yoga. I mean, that's a complexity with being a yoga teacher. Mm. Only a certain percentage, and I don't know what the percentage is, but only a certain percentage can really live well off of their teaching and yeah. do that full time without yeah. any other source of income. Mm -hmm. And the, from the business world, I see it as the there's a. Uh, the way things used to be was about 20% of people were responsible for 80% of the income and 80% of the, the production. So you have a small chunk responsible for most of the income the and inco income and stuff like that. Are you talking about the student body? No, oh. I'm talking about in business in general. Any, oh, yes. any type of business that you right. had, 20% of uh, your customers are responsible for 80% of your revenue and 20% of the teachers are responsible for 80%. So it's it's this this it's called the Pareto principle. Yes, and, yes, and, I, I know that. And so now it's changing to uh, 1% is responsible for 99%. And so yoga teachers, you see this, you have yoga celebrities who make just tons of money, but then the vast majority of the yoga students are mm -hmm. not. Are not are not making enough mm -hmm. money yes. um, uh, and it's and it's happening in everything and media and all these different things because of the the mm -hmm. internet and everything like that mm -hmm. and so I see that I see, and um, and then but the, that's the interesting thing about yoga is that yoga is this thing that a lot of people assume that it's not capitalistic like what we were talking about before is that they come <laughs> into this this, yes. this idea that it's this healing practice that has no yes shouldn't be about the money or anything like that uh, but then it is one of the most hyper-capitalistic things that exists. Uh, <laughs> well, well, do you want me to talk to that, about sure, that? Sure, yeah, yes. Well, I think that um, I have some thoughts about that okay. because, of course, I have thought about that. But yeah. I've also experienced that over all these years. I've, a lot of what you're talking about I, I've had an experience of. And what I, what, how can I say this? In India, you can go to meditation places and mm. it is completely free. And the, the culture totally supports that, mm. including the people that are running it. But in India also, there is very, very wealthy spiritual teachers mm -hmm. that make a lot of money mm -hmm. off of the money that their students give them. Yeah. So it's both. I, I'm only bringing up India because that's like the source of where the yoga is current, you know, has been mm -hmm. coming from. Mm -hmm. And we've done our own thing with that here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. I think that it would be mm -hmm. nice, perhaps, if we um, could offer yoga for free to people that wanted to do yoga. Mm -hmm. But we don't have very many systems like that in the U.S. at all where that would work. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can write a grant and then get money so that you can go and teach in the prison or in a low-income neighborhood or somewhere that's of interest to you, for sure. But unless you're independently wealthy, you can't just teach and not have any sway of paying for your um, mm -hmm. the cost of your life. Yeah. Um, I think that that does sometimes irritate people. Well, I think how that relates more to like the people in the yoga center here in San Francisco, but this has to be everywhere, I imagine, is that they are coming to the yoga um, center and they are having positive experience and they are having a healing experience and they are probably having an experience that they haven't had they haven't had very many experiences like that in their life mm. it means that their teacher is supporting 
them or supportive of them. They probably feel seen and heard when they're there. They probably like the vibe of the environment. They've maybe met friends there. Mm-hmm. They have it's a place that they can go as a refuge mm-hmm. away from their either like crowded mm-hmm. you know roommate apartment or just just away from their household that they're in. It's like their it's like their sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So then when your sanctuary says. Um, Actually, I see here that you haven't, you, you know, you haven't paid and, you know, for your last two classes you need to pay or, or where we'll say well, we're, we're changing our policy, we have to do this or we're raising our rates and we usually say why we're raising our rates, which usually has to do with um, giving the teachers a raise or, you know, something, something or just the cost, we have to raise the rates because the cost to run the company has grown. Those kinds of things can really trigger people and make them angry because they want their yoga place. They want this special place that's really very big in their heart to totally have their back no no matter what. Mm. And I would love to be able to do that, but it's not reality. The the reality is it's not here. And and I think that the healthiest, safest, most like mature and really compassionate way to respond to that is to try to treat everyone the same, mm. that the policies are followed, mm-hmm. that we try to, to uh, create them with consciousness and, um, you know, a depth of awareness and understanding to the degree that I could have it or we could have it as a team, mm. and then to follow through with those policies. Mm-hmm. And if down the road they really, really, really don't work, then we change them. I think that's one reason why we've survived all these years. Mm-hmm. It's been Boundaries, hard work and adaptability, which yeah. is, can be highly stressful. Yeah. Yeah, setting boundaries can be stressful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can you talk more about that? Setting boundaries. Yeah, and how sure. That, yeah. I think that um, you know, I think that uh, we often talk about take your yoga off the mat. I uh-huh. mean, that is like a that's coined by a, a very successful contemporary yoga teacher. I think that how that can be where anyone, any um, yoga organization can apply that would be with how you are conducting your business, right? How you are communicating. Like if we, if I let everybody off the hook, okay, an example is it can be very stressful to get to yoga class on time, right? Get on time because there's traffic, because it's crowded here, because, um, you have a busy life, You pro- everybody has so much responsibility. There's not all that much support in our daily life to like sort of like lift us up so, so easily. So sometimes you arrive at yoga class and you're late. Mm. Well, actually you, you can't come in late. Past a certain point, you cannot do it because it's too hard on the people that are um, already in class or the teacher, it's too disruptive. And so you, we have to have, we had to have a policy if you can come you can't come late. In fact, you have to arrive within this period of timing for any class. And that can be really, why I'm thinking that that is like a off the mat. It's like, well, it's actually part of it. If you want to come to practice, the, the whole thing is the practice. It's not just, you know, mm. it's not just the, you know, posture you like, the one it's, you like. Yeah, or, it's how, it's how you feel on the way to going to yoga yes. and how you react to all the stresses. That, yeah, that because eventually off. yoga is everywhere. Yeah. It's how yeah. everything yeah. is, mm. how you communicate, mm. how you... I mean, it's it's a it's a tall order, you know. It's really hard. Mm. It's very easy actually to do the postures in a way, even mm-hmm. if you're stiff. Which I actually am stiff. I'm not. I'm more muscular than loose huh. kind of um, uh, woman. Uh-huh. But um, you, uh, it's it's all hard. It's oh, I know what I started to say. I started to say that it's not that hard to do the poses. I mean, you know, it, of course, yes, and they can be even more difficult, and even you can apply even more like energy and focus, and then they 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 are very complex, but. It can be kind of easy just to do them is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. And so you can do those. The point of those is to help your mind be more uh, free mm. from the deep stress and the deep trauma of our lives so that we have the ability to have the freedom to be creative and compassionate mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. very human. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge thing that's starting to become popular or starting to become more in the uh, conscious awareness of most people is that how much trauma there is and how much, how much trauma, trauma yeah how much trauma we uh-huh. we deal with on a daily basis and yes. just kind of um, and yoga is such a is such a uh, powerful way to help with that trauma but especially so many people feel alone and they go into the yoga class and then they feel this sense of community like you're talking about and then they kind of have these o- o- powerful emotional uh, yes. breakages and then, but our, like you were also saying that our society doesn't really have a container or a way of kind of like channeling that into a particular kind yes. of uh, healthy way and stuff like that. And so for me, I would just go through these emotional things and just like uh, not really know what to do with that because I didn't have the tools. And so it's this very difficult thing to, to provide this container of this powerful practice 
but then people go off on their own and then they yes. watch TV and get all these me- weird messages about, you know, oh, no, no don't do that. Like, that's mm-hmm. not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about that? I, don't, I didn't really Gosh, it's there. really, yes, I think I understand what you're asking. And I, and I think I've been thinking about this lately. Mm-hmm. And I think what you're saying is that, or you can just tell me, is that um, with the practice of yoga and with so many people doing yoga, it's um, opening people up to either like memory of their experience or being able to feel just safe enough to believe, you know, some difficult trauma happened or, I mean, really just like everything imaginable. Plus also we have probably a feeling sense in our body as we become more um, open from the practice to what's happening to other people on the planet. Mm. And because also with technology, we have the information to learn so much about what's happening to human beings Mm. worldwide. Mm. So I think that um, I think that it actually is a big job to be a yoga teacher because um, uh, because you can see the stress and difficulty that your students are having and um, and we're not particularly trained you know we're not psychologists generally or therapists to be able to work with them in that in that same way. way. I mean mm-hmm. um, if, if somebody has training then they can. Um, I think that that's why, perhaps that's why the community and the environment of the space becomes so important to them. Because actually, a clean space where people are working on themselves, and and as long as um, I'm trying to keep it as an organization that's very, that's very um, honest and like, um, you know, conscious of what may be going on, then that the, the space itself becomes safe, mm. a, a kind of a safe place for them. But it's a big deal. Yeah. And maybe, can I just say one other yeah, thing? Absolutely. I was thinking while you're talking, I do hear for many years now, I hear about with the popularity of yoga, oh, it's so washed down now, and huh. it's not like it used to be, and or it's not like, yoga. what? You have goat yoga. Goat yoga, yoga, yeah, goat yoga, yeah. and all kinds of things. And um, what I really think is that, um, I think that if it is lighter now, a bit lighter, then good because that's probably enough. And more people are doing it, um, it's sort of more the norm, so, uh, you know, it's, it's probably the level at which people can really open up and still feel safe, because mm. it's, it's pretty, you know, it's, it can be very deep. Yeah. Very, very deep, and not, I wanna, I, the word coming to my mind is dangerous, but I don't wanna use that in a scary way, but it's not good to play with fire, you know? Yeah. What you're talking about is if you open up yourself enough mm-hmm. and then nobody's there, mm-hmm. That, that is really, really scary. Mm-hmm. That is high stress. And I think most people have a automatic kind of reaction to that that is not conscious, but it's a, and I had it at one point where anything that is woo, anything that is too far out there, their immediate, their barriers kind of go yes, up. Yes, it's so, true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Some of the things also that I think maybe will improve that are, is that some of those words are just like words we can't even hear anymore because yeah. they're just so overused. Yeah, you know? like, interesting. And yeah. so at one point it was really different to hear somebody say oh like I don't know like melt into your you know just melt into the feeling or at some point that was kind of new and maybe it still is new for probably new people to yoga but mm-hmm. there's lots of words that are used now that are actually we just sort of numb them out because they, they don't have any meaning for us anymore mm-hmm. that's true and in a way that's mm-hmm. kind of keeps it a kind of a um, more superficial because we're not really going in so mm-hmm. much mm-hmm. but I know you want to talk about stress and running the you know a yoga yeah. company uh-huh. um, I do think that um, well all the things I said I, I, I you know is what what I experienced but that um, generally the You know, I want to say something I'm not even sure I should say it, like on a recording. And that is that the the U.S. is great. You know, I'm an American. My family um, actually moved to San Francisco in the 1800s. But, and why I'm bringing that up is that I want to say that actually America's very young. Mm. We are like a young culture. I mean, we have some depth for sure. And I, I love the way we're innovative and all the wonderful, incredible things that Americans and America has done. But it's very immature in many ways. Mm. And so in yoga, yoga is a very new industry. It's like, how, how in the US, it's like 30 years old, mm. maybe. I don't know. Mm. I don't know how many years exactly, but it's very new. So you have people in the industry that are trying to figure it out. And they themselves have like big egos. They themselves have wounds that they haven't healed from. They themselves have, you know, 
themselves been mistreated in work environments and then they haven't been able to quite on a deep level like not do the same to the people that are working for them those are the people that are running the company like mm -hmm. maybe not such the skill base across the board so mm -hmm. that they can have this company where everybody's trying to elevate their awareness and understanding of their life and at the same time they're um, struggling with um, you know paying the bills because either people you know people aren't paying or they're not consistent or the teachers you know don't show up for class or things that actually shouldn't be all that complex you know it's it's not that hard it's not like surgery mm. or it's not like mm. you know it's, simple, it's not like you know we have a roof over our head mm. do you know what I mean yeah it's uh, th things that are very simple yet difficult yes hard to do because yeah. that's where we are I think that's mm -hmm. the stage of where we are as like a, a culture both like in, within mm -hmm. the US but then also as a culture within yoga it's not everywhere it's mm -hmm. not all the time mm -hmm. but there is that going on mm -hmm. and for sure I feel that I have lived through that like I've really had to like pull myself up so like I've had to figure it out because I see that it wasn't working that I was hurting people or people were hurting me because the environment was just like a free-for-all mm -hmm. even though you know we had payroll and mm. health insurance and mm. you know and uh, everything people, yeah people are figuring it out because this the yoga as a business had never existed before not, like it has but not like this exactly yeah. and I think it's slightly different from the fitness uh -huh. industry because of various reasons one there's like a spiritual aspect it can be very personal also yoga teachers for the most part and I think this is across the board nationwide where yoga teachers are paid more money um, overall than, for example, a teacher that's teaching like a one-hour Pilates class or teaching, um, what else is popular? Like, you know, like a popular dance yeah. class. Uh -huh. um, we Yoga teachers can be paid like high high amount. Particularly on one-on-ones too. And then one-on-ones, yeah, privates, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the reason that it's hard, maybe harder maybe in San Francisco is because the amount of competition. Yeah. For other yoga places, yes, but like everything because it's a very expensive city to live in. Mm. You do have, right? So you have only so much um, extra income beyond, you know, beyond your um, monthly expenses. And so how are you going to spend that? Are you going to spend it like on a cappuccino? Or are you going to spend it on a movie? Uh -huh. Are you going to go to yoga? Uh -huh. Can you talk more about that in the sure. kind of the, so it seems like in the yoga uh, business world in San Francisco, you had, you had a couple different yoga studios that were kind right. of, uh, and yoga tree was a big one. And can you talk more about sure. like how that kind of evolution happened? Or maybe you guys yeah. started before that. Um, well, so um, Castro Yoga um, was the first yoga studio, and it was in the Castro. Uh -huh. And um, Castro Yoga opened about one month before the first yoga tree. So okay. The first yoga tree, I think, was on uh, Stanion. Oh, okay. The found Stanion. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh -huh. And, um, but I don't know. I'm sorry, I don't know what else you... So, Just, so the yoga, Castro Yoga was in the Castro until from um, 1990. Eight until 2004 when we moved to what's now Yoga Garden. Mm. And, um, but within that time, uh, well, no, since 19, well, whatever, since, since Castro Yoga or Yoga Tree opened, like so many places have opened. Yeah. It wasn't that there was no yoga studios in the city before then, uh. but they were typically um, part of uh, an Indian teacher, typically connected to some Indian uh, Swami or uh. some teacher that had been had lived here or maybe had been here or anyway they're so, they're um students of of those people so most of the studios started from a lineage of yes. uh, of a, a, a yoga teacher and then and then it then somehow became popular in san francisco what i'm really interested yes. in is getting to that the 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 this kind of this foundation for what we have now which is a popular uh uh mainstream yoga where yoga has become part of the cultural milieu going from that 1970s to what we have now which is right. like that right and so in san francisco is the place where it all happened basically right a lot and, of it happened yeah, that's true yeah. okay so i think i do know i do know the answer or i do uh -huh. know my answer uh -huh. to what you're saying i just want to make sure that i say it in like a clear way um so I, of course i only know my version because it's my life and my experience of, of what i know I definitely studied with Indian teachers when I was young. I mean, that, those were the people that you learned from. They were typically men, and they were typically from India. Mm. So um, of, the, of all of the teachers, two of them I can say that I studied with directly, and they both passed away in, you know, in the last um, 10 years. So they're not around anymore. I think there's a lot of, of that gen first sort of sort of first generation of Indians that came to the U.S., they're not around anymore. Uh -huh. So you only have their disciples mm -hmm. or their students. Mm -hmm. 
But I think at some point, probably in the early 2000s, um, yoga and health and lifestyle, uh, you know, th this kind of lifestyle became more popular. It was um, proven to be lucrative amongst many savvy business people, not all the mom and pops or all the many teachers and like free thinkers or forward thinkers that were yoga teachers. Maybe not so much of them, but there were some people that were very savvy and they mm. made a lot of money in yoga and it helped the industry grow a lot. Mm. And so, um, and so that's when it became stepping a little bit away from India. Mm. I mean, I think people now don't think so much about India mm. when they think about yoga, but it was very Indian. Mm. It was very, I mean, it was very Indian. Mm. That doesn't mean it was Hindu or particularly religious, because it's, it's really not. It's mm. that it's, yoga is not a religion, mm. but it was about India and, and that and the American culture because we're so innovative and mm. clever and smart and. Mm. Um, you know, um, applying our effort in the way that we as individuals think is right, then we, we changed it into mm -hmm. what it is now. I feel like Which is also nice because yeah. it was, we adapted it uh -huh. to what worked in our, what we, what, and when I say our, I mean everybody's individual version of their American culture, their idea. Mm -hmm. I do feel like that the, the uh, Indian uh, individuals uh, for sure had a, had a, um, had a role to play in the commercialization of yoga. You look at Bikram, who, who like yes. Bikram came to, yes. to, um, to Los Angeles and had all these movie stars and he's like I've got to charge a lot of money because Americans don't don't value oh, what, they, do what they, don't, they don't pay <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah and then and then you I mean and there's always been this weird connection between uh, um, Indian culture and Anglo culture so both England and and the US because you had the fitness practices from the scholarship of like Matthew Remsky and this other uh, um, another guy who wrote the Roots of Yoga, they talk about how the fitness part of yoga came from Scandinavia, then got popular in Engla, mm -hmm. England, and then with colonization came to, to India and was 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 taught to the um, elite of of India, who then took it and then with the rediscovery of of the Bhagavad Gita and all these holy books, uh, basically merged yogic philosophy from thousands of years ago with a common nationalist understanding of Indian culture and then combine that with this physical practice that they had been had been taught by the the, the British uh, military and then with Iyengar and all these mm -hmm. other kind of uh, uh, teachers then came to America and started spreading it and like Bikram and stuff like that mm -hmm. and so it's this strange mixture of globalization that that has kind of created what we now know as modern yoga which is a new thing it's not mm -hmm. it's not and this is why why i have an issue with with people saying that goat yoga and all these other yogas are not real forms of yoga we have no real form of yoga uh because yoga just comes into our culture and then creates a new a new mm -hmm. thing out of that out of that interaction with the culture um so it's a weird it's a it's a um, ever since I've discovered that, I've, <laughs> like uh, yes. my idea, my my understanding of what yoga is, like just like shot in the head, basically, and now I'm like, what the hell is yoga like? <laughs> yes, I, it, it's true. It's, it's it's very interesting, and also there's another piece which you may know or not. Um, it's easy. It's easy to know. In 1948, when um, India, well, when the British had to leave India, and then. Um, there was no, and then there became Pakistan and India. Um, many of the yoga teachers were for the the the, the royalty, mm. right? The royal families, and and with um, without the British there, many of those royal, I don't know if they're called kingdoms. Actually, I don't know. Mm. They they no longer had any power, any money, mm. and so their yoga teachers had to go somewhere and find place people to teach. Oh, interesting. Because the principalities, those little yes. states or whatever, ran out of money yes. from the uh, from independence. That's why they came to the U.S. Yes. and started. That's why to some of them the came. Yeah, early on. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yes. Can you talk about who you worked with? Or oh, sure. Your, sure, uh, sure. Uh, My first um, experience of a yoga teacher was here in San Francisco, and um, that was from the lineage of Paramahansa Yogananda, which is very unusual. And I mean, now it's it's more unusual amongst people that practice a lot of asana. But at that time, there was a teacher called Kriyananda, and he was a direct student of Yogananda. Yogananda came to California. He came up to um, Santa Rosa, and he also has a... Um, anyway, he was here in, in Northern California. But he has a big place down in Southern California. Mm. But um, Yogananda was an incredible, incredible um, teacher of of yoga and meditation, and you know Eastern 
Eastern philosophy. And his direct student was an American named Kriyananda, and he was here mm. in the Bay Area. Mm. Um, so that was more of a meditative and more philosophical. So it's funny, I started actually in that area, mm, and then over the years moved more towards the asana. Maybe life, you know, maybe age happening to the uh, body. Uh, <laughs> um, and maybe just I was a young adult, and I really was trying to find some kind of anchor for, you know, what's happening mm. in life. Like, mm. why am I here? What are we doing? What's, you know, what I just was trying to understand what this place is that we're all living in and what are we doing as that can be meaningful. Mm. Then, um, then I studied Kundalini yoga and at that time Yogi Bhajan was still alive. I mean, he only passed away a few years ago, but he was in LA mostly. Mm. And so he's the one where many of those people wear the white clothing and the white turbans, but they're usually Westerners. Mm -hmm. He's part of the Sikh, so he's not a Hindu or a Muslim. He was part of the Sikh. Um, uh, religion and group, but he's taught a form of yoga, which is Kundalini Yoga, mm. which was really incredibly powerful for me mm. to study mm. and to do. I think it really helped me move out of some difficult times in my yeah. young life. Mm. Then um, I never really, I never studied with Patabi Joyce, and I didn't really study Ashtanga Yoga, though it, it was getting very, it was in the beginning, it was very popular and very interesting. My story, it's all very interesting. I did it a little, but it wasn't really my thing, just wasn't for me because I liked, because I started with sort of a more meditative, philosophical, mm -hmm. and then movements that weren't quite so like, um, uh, like um, a, a workout or like a yeah. sport. Mm -hmm. um, and so then I, then from, but then I did eventually get involved with Iyengar yoga. Mm. And I studied a little bit with Gita Iyengar, his daughter. And um, just one time I was here with Iyengar, Mr. Iyengar, mm. when he was alive at a lecture that he gave from mm. my teacher at my teacher's place that was here in San Francisco. Mm. So the, all of those people are no longer around, mm. all of those. But that's also because I'm also older. So, of course, people don't aren't still around. But they were very, it was very, and then I did spend time in, in India. Um, but I think that I, I really have enjoyed having a yoga center in San Francisco. I have enjoyed figuring out how to make it relevant to our life here. And um, that stress factor, which is what your, you know, what your work right now is, is about, um, Stuart, it's, it's there. It's there. Even when we do the postures, there's, we're also stressing the muscles. I mean, I was mentioning, or like we are putting stress on ourselves to do, to make an effort towards these things. But I think at some point the postures actually, when you do them, you still, you can apply an effort and there's no stress left. Mm -hmm. And then you can really feel, uh, empty mm -hmm. or maybe totally full, mm -hmm. same thing. Mm -hmm. But then you still might, walk into a room and somebody is unkind to you and, and then you you feel like you have like a trigger of like people feel treating you poorly or w whatever it is, but it can be overcome. Mm. And I think the practice mm. of yoga can help us so deeply with the stress mm. of, of our life. And then the, I feel like that's a great segue into the other coin of the other side of the coin. What I'm talking about is creativity. So how does yes. that, how does, how does that freedom or fullness yes. that you were just talking about lead us to be able yes. to create more? I think that the reason that we're here, honestly, I think that the reason that we're born and then we live our lives is to to heal, mm. to heal. And I know sometimes people say to me, well, what am I healing from? And yeah. then I feel like, well, I don't have that answer for you. Uh -huh. Because if you first of all have to realize that you're not, that there might be something that needs to be healed. Mm -hmm. But I mm. generally wouldn't say and that to them. it's different for a lot of different people. Well, is there, is there, is... So, but like, uh -huh. let me just finish. Yeah, yeah well, I, we yeah. can talk about that. Because, you know, I mean, not, I may not, I may not know the right answer for you and for certainly not for everyone. But I think once we have enough healing mm. that we can be more... Our, of our true self or closer to our true nature and our true self, then the next thing is full creativity, mm -hmm. and it just full expansive as a, as a creativity. Yes, in every yeah. way, yeah. in every way. Uh -huh. And it's almost effortless, right? Almost effortless. Yeah. Yeah. But I can tell you, actually, I do have like an answer as to this healing because um, I really do think this, and this is like even more, like no, not that many people are thinking about this. Um, I'm part of a group of um, people that are mostly, they're mostly psychologists actually, that work with pre and perinatal uh, time frame. So pre and perinatal psychology is what this area is. And what they're showing, and now science, just recently science has been able to back this up, is that that first imprint of what it's like when we are in the womb 
and then what the birth experience is like, and then what that early childhood time is like up for, well, a couple years. That those things that if we're, if, if the situation isn't very good, then we have trauma from that time. And then we do, if we're lucky enough, we need to heal that in our life. And then mm. we're closer to that mm, natural source. state. Yeah, interesting. Even like the, um, the Greeks, but many old cultures, they had when women were pregnant, they liked them to be around beautiful things. People took care of them nicely. Mm. It was for so that they had a nice, nice thoughts in their brain. Uh. And even Yogananda, actually, there's a story in um, the book that he wrote, which is called Autobiography of a Yogi, where he talks about in India when he was in the womb, he remembers a conversation that his mother had with their spiritual teacher. <laughs> and so you might think, oh, well, yeah, really? Well, that just probably made really good writing for uh -huh. the book or something. Uh -huh. But now, now we we pretty much can tell through science that there is consciousness and mm. life. That there is awareness. And I mean, if you just think about it, like the nervous system is entwined with the nervous system of the mother. So you have yes, blood. Completely. Blood is flowing. Completely. So anytime yes. the stress yes. cortisol comes into yes. the the mother's blood, it also goes into the baby's blood. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. And so it makes sense that there's real physiological. Even if we don't talk about the spiritual and other anything yes. else, there's real physiological changes that happen in the baby yes. when they're in the. the yes. Yeah. And then even like if you want to talk more a little bit psych psychological mm. if the mother doesn't want the child or if she she herself is under so much stress and trauma maybe she's in a war zone or maybe she's just in a very unhealthy um, living situation then it's hard for her to connect and so then the child will have a harder time connecting mm. to others mm -hmm. and that's and that's I've, I've dealt this with is very simply stated <laughs> <laughs> I've dealt with a lot of these issues myself, and, yeah. and I'm in a stage where I'm kind of uh, un uncovering trauma that is pre-verbal, and this is the main thing that I've had with the psychology uh, issue is that a lot of psychology, if they don't have training in these other things like what you're talking yes. about, is only from my rational brain talking to your rational brain, our linguistic kind of meaning, and there's no kind of... You can't really get to that deeper stuff or that the higher stuff. Yes, mm -hmm. but people are, and I'm, I'm so grateful for them. Mm. It's prenatal and perinatal psychology and health. It's an organization. They they're like really good people. Is there one good book or good article that people right, can find? Right, trying to think. Um, I guess I want to say that probably going to their website would be the best. Okay. Then you could see like which area of this that you would like to read because they do have it. And sometimes things are for free because they want the information to get out there. Mm. In the last few years, the science is now showing all what they've been saying for, you know, 20 or 30, uh -huh. since the 70s, that it's actually, you know, now it's science will prove it so then it's easier to, to absorb. This is so interesting. There's so many more places we could go. <laughs> I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but but this this what you just said about the perinatal and prenatal, it reminds me of what I've been experiencing in my research for body workers. And mo most of what we know about fascia right now comes from body workers who are like feeling this thing in their patients and being like, okay, that's not a muscle. It's not an organ. It's something else, you know? Wow. It's like, and, and then they started researching it. Yes. And it's like all these things, we only get these understandings of these things once we start to like look at them uh, in how they're showing up right now, but most of us, uh, particularly in Western medical sciences, is, is you, do, you view it from the abstract, and so you don't you don't view yes. it from the patient, yes. you don't view it from the from subjective. feeling or thoughts, yeah, or, yeah, exactly. Those things are just kind of like not real, but yeah, they no, are, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. and they have huge effects. They have a huge effect. Yeah. So yes, this is this would be a wonderful area for you to to look into for mm. yourself. It's I mean for all of us, and it doesn't mean that oh we're scarred for life. It's not that. It's mm. more like oh. There's some deeply, there's some deep imprints mm -hmm. that we that would be good if we could look at them and resolve them, so that we could have, you know, a happier, more creative, more mm -hmm. compassionate life. Mm -hmm. I think that's mm -hmm. our nature. I mean, I do think that's what the yogis have always talked about. Our nature, or the, you know, the Buddhists, it's it, it, our na our true mm -hmm. nature mm -hmm. is like compassion and goodness mm -hmm. and creativity and yes. just like yes. inspiration. Mm -hmm. and, and this is the thing that I had to learn. It took me a while to learn was that motivation can happen through inspiration. And most of us in this society think we got to work really hard in order to have anything done. Yes. But most of the creative stuff happens as just like this, like yes. beautiful kind of opening that happens yes. where you don't really need to work. Right. Um, it's like <laughs> um, when you're. I was just reading something where, no, it was one of your um, uh, podcast that when you're resting, when you're resting, those athletes, those elite athletes, mm. when they're resting, that they're very. Well, that the amount of time required to rest so that they can be elite athletes, I thought that's very telling. That's the same for everybody. Yep. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And it doesn't, it's not only physical too, that's emotional and, and psychological yes. too. That period of rest where you have no conscious, not, you have no uh, um, regulated behavior where you're just kind of, right. where you're just resting. You're just like, I'm relaxing. Right. There has to be a psychological part that they're okay with, that it's okay mm -hmm. to rest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it could be because they've worked themselves so deeply muscularly that they actually, you know, their, their physio physiology will really insist upon rest. But the mind has to really allow the rest mm -hmm. to be like mm -hmm. accepted. Particularly because we've been trained yes. that rest is <laughs> the devil or no, idle hands are the devil's playthrough. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so I only got a couple minutes left. Uh, I, I, I do have an interesting question that I want to hear your, your aspect on because, uh, so we'll take a couple minutes left. So basically San Francisco had, was a hippie artist, creative kind of place where you could come and kind of didn't have to work, focus too much on your, on your money and all, all these things. You could kind of you know, live in Golden Gate Park and, and kind of be here. And then tech came from Silicon Valley, and they were both kind of always connected and stuff like that. But particularly, like, what do you, what is your impression of, of San Francisco now <laughs> compared to when you started the yoga studio? Because oh. it was already happening at that yes, time. Yes, it was because yeah. there was the dot coms uh -huh. happening. Yeah. A few of those sort of up and downs. Uh -huh. Oh, what do I want to say? Well, I think that, um, I mean, you can edit this out if you want, <laughs> but I think really San Francisco is just a, it's just a city that's changeable. Uh -huh. I don't think it was always a hippie city, and it was only a hippie city for a few elite people, mm -hmm. in a way. Mm -hmm. I mean, let me talk a little more. San Francisco actually was a working class city most of its like short life, and then um, the hippies of the '60s. I mean, I believe um, they were um, here nearby here in the wealthy Haight Ashbury. It was a wealthy, beautiful, gorgeous homes there, mm. and um, the young people were looking for something something else, you know, some kind of freedom, some kind of something to get away from their conservative uh, American lifestyle. And so they came here from all over, but to a wealthy neighborhood. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of those hippie, uh, the hippies actually came from affluence and education. Yeah. Then later, I think, and I remember in the early days of being here um, with the yoga school, the, the, the kids on the street, because they used to live in the park, I wouldn't call them hippies. Uh -huh. They were more like goth. Uh, um, they were more, you know, with like their dogs and their all black clothes and, you know, um, homeless, you know, homeless teens and young people. I don't know what's happened to them other than probably the city feels like we can't be having that. Or maybe there was resources for them and they all found, you know, mm. a better place to exist. I don't know. Mm. But what I want to say about the tech and that the city now is very, is so you have to have so much money to mm -hmm. live here very well. Or everyone's getting used to the quality of our life being... You know, we don't quite realize how many things we're missing in the mm -hmm. quality of our life here because of mm -hmm. the cost of mm -hmm. what everything is. Mm -hmm. But I think it's just normal that a city would change, and it's just doing this. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people that are earning a lot of money, making innovative things that are affecting the whole world. Mm -hmm. And I think some of that's good, but there's probably some of it that's not that good, mm -hmm. not so great for the world. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know because mm -hmm. I don't know all the things. But mm -hmm. um, it's really, really unfortunate that there isn't room for a place in San Francisco for a diverse range of economics mm -hmm. to be living here. Yeah, and, and I just don't know if it's probably, I don't know what would make it or allow it to go back to that. Yeah, and that's, and you see it in any any urbanized environment. Well, it's part of America. I mean, it's actually great. Oh, good. Now we can see what's happening to America. We can be a little microcosm mm -hmm. of like the great wealth and mm -hmm. then all the people that don't, that are, that don't have wealth on the other end and there's no middle class. Mm -hmm. There's no working class here because there's no middle class Unless here. Unless they've owned their home for 20 or 30 years. Yes, yeah. or they inherited it. There's yeah. also mm -hmm. more inherited wealth in this country than mm -hmm. ever in the history of this country. Mm -hmm. And I think more than in you know places like England where we think, oh, people inherit, or I don't know. Mm -hmm. Anyway, there's more inherited wealth now than ever. Mm -hmm. So that makes it hard for people that don't inherit wealth mm -hmm. because you still have the same, things still cost the same. Mm -hmm. And then, the, then there's this, this point that you mentioned of essentially like, urban environments where it starts off as like a uh, culturally uh, diverse area and with different socioeconomic uh, um, yes. people together in the same place and then 
that draws all the commercial stuff because com- commerce yes. comes from creativity. That kind yes, of no, it's true. Yeah. Remember, I was uh-huh. telling you that I was um, I have an art degree uh-huh. from UC yeah, Berkeley. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So after I graduated from UC Berkeley, then I moved to San Francisco, and at that time, you lived south of Market. Uh-huh. Now, south of Market was um, uh, gay uh, leather clubs uh-huh. and um, and. Um, Bicycle messengers. Was now, and, right now it's homeless. Was it the same degree of homeless, almost population there? As, same as when. Like right now. Because um, right now you walk through homeless. Soma and you see needles and all these different things. No, be, I don't think so. Because it would be more. It was more kind of abandoned. Mm. So then you could get small warehouses and you could live there as artists. Artists lived down there. Huh. Um, there were no services. We used to drive to the Castro to go to the grocery store because well, there was nothing in south of yeah. Market. Uh-huh. There was nothing like Brannon was like nothing on Brannon. Um, well, this is of course way before the the this ball the the whatever the stadium Park. there yeah, yeah. and all of those things. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it was. Um, so why why I brought that up is because of course artists actually are often the first people that move that gentrify a neighborhood. Mm. Actually, we even would say that in the '80s. Oh yeah, art. This will change because artists are gentrifying the neighborhood. Mm. Yeah. And then from there, it just becomes more and more wealth. Mm. So when I say that I, when I was a, a young person and then I was studying yoga, all my friends that were artists, I mean, it wasn't. They weren't doing it. It, they liked that I was doing it, but it wasn't popular mm. like that. Mm. It was like this just odd group of people that would be in yoga class. Mm. Okay, I know you have an appointment, so yeah. I want to make sure we get, we get you in time. Yeah. What, uh, um, so how can people find you? Sure. The best way to find me is, I think, for me personally, is my Instagram, which mm-hmm. would be Marisa Torgino Yoga. Cool. Because I usually write to people from there, and, you know, I post. And How do you spell Torgino? Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. T-O-R-I-G-G-I-N-O. Oh, perfect. But Marisa is one S. Okay. M-A-R-I-S-A. Okay. And then Torigio, can Torigino. You spell, can you spell it again? T-O-R-I-G-G-I-N-O. And then yoga. Yoga. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, it's Thank such you so a great... Much. Great privilege to talk talk to you, you, really, sincerely. Thanks for tuning into the show. If you liked it, please go ahead and find us on iTunes or Spotify and hit the subscribe button. I'll publish each episode by Monday morning before your commute, so make sure to check in then. And this is a reminder to just own your crazy, because the challenges that this world will be facing over the next hundred years will require us to think way outside the box. As Hunter S. Thompson said, when the going gets weird, the weird turn pro. Thanks. Have a great day.